time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Tonight we're going to talk about uh, the secret of obedience as it pertains to crashing. And uh, I want to read to you a story. It's a really cool story. It's out of 1 Chronicles chapter 11. And I'm going to start with verse 4. And I think it's only like through verse, I don't know, 7 or something. So 1 Chronicles chapter 11. Let me read this to you. Then all of Israel gathered before David at Hebron and told him, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. Oh, wait, I started with verse 1. Just scratch that. I want to start with verse 4. You don't need to know any of that stuff right now. Okay, verse 4. Then David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, or Jebus, as it, is, as it used to be called, because that's where the Jebusites lived, and it was called Jebus. So the orig- they were the original inhabitants of the land where they were living. The people of Jebus taunted David, saying, You'll never get in here. But David captured the fortress of Zion, this is Jerusalem, we're talking about the city of Jerusalem, which is now called the city of David. David had said to his troops, I love this, I love this, David had said to his troops, whoever is the first to attack the Jebusites will become the commander of my armies. Now there's some initiative there, I mean there's some, there's some, man he's kind of like laying it out there man, whoever's going to attack first, whoever's going to lead the charge, you get to become commander in chief of all of Israel's armies. That's a pretty esteemed position. And Joab, it goes on to say, and Joab, the son of David's sister, Zariah, was first, how'd you like to be named Zariah? That doesn't sound like a girl's name, does it? Maybe she was manly, I don't know. All right, so Joab, the son of David's sister, Zariah, was first to attack. So he became the commander of David's armies. David made the fortress his home, and this is why it is called the city of David. He extended the city from the supporting terraces to the surrounding area, while Joab rebuilt the rest of Jerusalem. And David became more and more powerful because the Lord of Heaven's armies was with him. So I love this. And it dawned on me as I was reading through this passage of Scripture, and I was kind of just reading this text, it dawned on me that this was great for David. This is a great deal for King David, but this is kind of a ripoff for Joab, isn't it? Doesn't seem like kind of a ripoff? I mean, David gets the city. I mean, the city is named after him. David becomes this giant of a king, while Joab just kind of becomes this little footnote in history. I mean, it, it seems like a ripoff. But yet you, you don't see, you don't get a sense that Joab feels like he's been ripped off at all. Or like someone owes him something. You, you, don't, you don't get that from the text. I mean, he was, he was part of something bigger than himself. A part of this extraordinary advancement of this new kingdom God was establishing under King David. I think Joab was just happy to be a part of it. And I love, man, I'm, I'm ringing, I'm loud. I feel loud tonight. Am I loud? I feel loud. Now, turn me down just a little bit. Now, I love David's leadership strategy here. I love his leadership strategy. He says, whoever leads the attack will become commander-in-chief. Whoever leads the attack will become commander-in-chief. 
And one of the urgent issues that we're facing as youth pastors in this nation, I'm just talking from my perspective, a youth pastor's perspective, is how we can develop world-class leaders. You know, leaders that I like to call them crashers. I mean, world-class leaders who can engage and have enough influence to change the culture that we are now facing in our country. Young people who will engage and transform culture, not allowing culture to transform them, but them transforming culture. It's a big struggle for us as youth pastors. And I love David's leadership approach to this. Whoever steps up, whoever leads the charge, gets to lead. And oh, by the way, you have to live. You have to live. I mean, whoever leads the attack, it's yours. The job is yours. It's a brilliant approach. I mean, if he's no good, you don't have to take his promotion away from him because he's probably dead, right? I'm just like, oh, who wants to step up next? (laughs) I mean, Joab, he was a great commander for those few minutes. But now who's going to step up next and lead the charge? I love that approach. But Joab didn't get dead, as I like to say it. He didn't get dead. He prevailed, and David took up residence in the city and changed the name of the city to the city of David. But in reality, that city was won by the guy leading the charge. The city was won by Joab. And isn't that what we're really about? We are leaders in God's kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, and we function to bring God glory so that the name of Jesus can be lifted up in every city of the world. That's how we function, to bring someone else glory because we love him. We desire him. We love his presence. I mean, he redeemed us. He restored us. He rescued us. He, he, he died on a cross for us. I mean, man, this, we owe him everything. We just want to be part of his team. And it took all of, listen to this, it took all of human history for us to get a billion people on this planet. It took all of human history to get a billion people on this planet. Then all of a sudden, we started having babies like crazy. Not you guys, hopefully, but adults. They started having babies like crazy. Now, every 13 years, every 13 years, a billion people are added to our world. Every 13 years. So in the last 50 years, basically five and a half of the six and a half billion people on this planet have come into existence. In the last 50 years. That means that there are more people on this planet right now who are created in the image and the likeness of the living God and are living outside of the heart of God than any other time in human history. More people living lives away from God. It took us a little over 200 years to reach this 300 million mark right here in the United States, in our own country. A little over 200 years to reach 300 million people. By the year 2040, most of you are going to be right around 43 or 44 years old, and we are going to have 400 million people living in this country. So the next 100 million people are coming to this country before any of you even turn 50. We'll have another 100 million people in this country. And you know what you're going to find when you start looking at our church uh, leaders all over this nation? You think about that many people coming into our nation, that many new people that are going to need to hear the gospel, that many new people that are going to need to see the light of Jesus in you. And we find a bunch of so-called leaders, mostly pastors, and even some youth pastors, 
sitting around trying to figure out how to incrementally grow their church. And when, when throughout God's, man, I'm loud again. That's hurting my ears. When throughout God, God's word, we read about the church growing exponentially. It's not about incrementally growing. It's about exponentially growing in God's word. In God's word, there are great increases, not just an incremental increase here or there. What I mean by incremental is one plus one is two, two plus one is three, three plus one is four, four plus one is five. I mean, you're not getting very far very fast, are you? When we talk about exponential growth, we're talking about, man, one plus one is two, two times two is four, four times four is 16, 16 times 16 is 256. I mean, I mean that's exponential growth. That's growing like crazy. That's, that's what I see in the, in, in the scripture. That's what I read about in the Bible stories. I mean, the church is growing exponentially. I mean, people are coming to Jesus left and right. Why? Because people are preaching Jesus left and right. People are living the life. People are sharing their faith. People are sharing what Jesus has done in their life. It's not even preaching. Don't even think about preaching because I don't even like someone preaching to me. My mom used to preach to me. All, did your mom ever preach to you? Good, you should listen. You should listen to your mom. All right, but I didn't like the preaching either when I was young. Just think think of it as sharing. You're sharing what God has done in you. You're sharing the freedom. You're sharing the light. You're sharing the forgiveness. You're, You're sharing the salvation. You're sharing the stuff with your friends. That's all it is. I mean, we use terms as like preach Jesus, but it's really just sharing what God has done in you. That's the best way. To see someone you love find freedom in Christ. It really is. So I'm not against incremental growth. I mean, I'm against stagnation and decline. (laughs) I mean, if you're growing, I'm happy. And I'm not against incremental growth. But my goodness, if we're going to change a generation, one or two here or there, just isn't going to cut it. Especially when 100 million new people are coming into our country in the next 38 years. 100 million new people. That doesn't count all the ones right now. So, I want you guys to really be thankful for the church that you're at. I want you to be thankful that you're in a church, the Church of New Life. I want you to be thankful that you're in youth ministry, like DSM. Because all over this nation, you're going to find churches who love the tradition more than they love their students. And I've been all over in churches. And I come from a Nazarene background. And the majority of Nazarene churches love the tradition more than they love their kids. And they won't do anything like you guys get here for their students. So be happy. You guys have an opportunity that many other young people don't have. You have an opportunity to learn like many young people don't have. You have an opportunity to worship and to pray and to grow and to be mentored and to be led by some great leaders in this country. And most students in this nation do not have that. So, yeah, when we look at you guys, we see the potential of a nation. We see the potential of what God wants to do in your generation sitting right here in front of us. It's you. You've got that potential. In the last 50 years, the church, and I apologize, but the church has failed to raise up world-class leaders. We have failed to do it. World-class leaders who will make an exponential impact. Not just incremental, an exponential impact that we find all throughout scripture. And this is why your job is gonna be even harder. Because of this lack of leadership, the world is a mess. 
Because we have allowed culture to shape us, and we've allowed culture to shape the church, and we've allowed a culture just to run over us, basically. Your job's going to be tough. Because God calls us and, and to go out and change culture. God calls us to go out and transform culture. I feel like in our day and age right now, the rhinos are the culture and they're running over us instead of us being the rhinos and that group of rhinos called a crash and running over culture and running into it and changing it and transforming it. I mean, you have the almighty God, the most powerful being in the universe, the God who loves you, the God who transformed you, the God who can empower you with all kinds of gifts and abilities, the God who split the Red Sea, the God who did all kinds of other things, he's on your side. We should not be allowing culture to run over us. We impact culture, and culture changes. Amen? All right, that's a little side tangent. I gotta figure out where I'm at again. Joab, Joab stepped up. He led the charge. He became the leader of all of Israel's armies. You know what that means? It means he gained influence over a nation because he took a chance, because he took a risk. The risk he took was simply being obedient. And Joab knew he had heard the desires of God's heart from his king. I mean, he knew that. He heard it from David. David probably said, man, the Lord's going to give the Jebusites, and he's going to give Jebus, Jebus, he's going to give it into our hands, that city. He's going to give it to us. I'm sure Joab heard those, those, those you know, motivating, inspiring cries of David to his, to his army. And Joab knew he had heard the desires of God's heart from his king. And if King David said the Lord was going to deliver the Jebusites into their hands, then that was the will of God. Joab was simply being obedient to the plan and will of God. He was simply being obedient. What do you believe God's plan is for your generation? Have you ever thought about that? What is God's plan for your generation? What do you believe he has in store for you? What do you believe he has in store for DSM? I mean, do you believe God has a purpose, a plan, I mean, big dreams for your generation? Do you believe that? I hope you do. Because God does. He does have a big plan. I mean, he's probably got a couple nationwide revivals thrown into the mix. He's just waiting for people to step up and lead the charge. And I'm telling you guys, man, the exploits that you will accomplish the things that you will do, the things you will witness, the things you will see when you are obedient will amaze you. It will amaze you. Is God smaller now than what he used to be when scripture was written? No, I mean, maybe God's getting a little old. You think he's getting a little old? I mean, when people get old, they get a little slower, don't they? I mean, they're, they're, they're <laughs> their minds start getting slower. They get a little less intentional. They actually shrink and get a little shorter. Sorry, Perkin boys. You know, they, 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 they shrink. I mean, these guys get older, they're going to get even shorter. I mean, I'll get shorter too, but I'll still be taller. All right, I mean, that's what, old, that's what happens when you get old. I mean, they sleep 16 hours a day and they're awake for eight. And for four of those eight, they're eating because they eat so slow. That's what happens when you get old. That's what you have to look forward to. Don't worry about that now, though. 
Maybe the dreams God once had for his people just aren't quite as extreme as they once used to be. I think that's ridiculous. I think it's silly. Scripture says God is the same today as he was yesterday and that he reigns upon his throne right now. And I believe that he is dreaming up amazing reformations, amazing revivals, amazing awakenings and movements of himself just waiting for one of his sons or daughters to step up and take the charge. Just waiting. And in the process of charging, you and God together will change the world. You will impact culture. You will change lives around you. People will be able to live in eternity with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven forever and ever and ever and ever instead of being lost in hell. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. These aren't my words. This isn't my philosophy. I'm just telling you what scripture says. Don't you want to impact a generation? You may see your name in lights one day, but not because you wanted to see your name in lights. It'll be because you simply wanted to be obedient and serve your God. God will give you favor. He will give you blessing. He will will run with you. He will give you great levels of influence as you are obedient. I don't know about you, but man, I get tired. I get tired of reading the books in the Bible, and I get tired of reading about the great faith that people displayed. I get tired of hearing about the revivals of old and all the stories, and I get tired about reading all the miracles that happened in Scripture. Man, I want to see them today. I want to see them take place. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't get tired of reading the Bible. I love reading the Bible. Read your Bible. Consume it. Digest it. Everything. I mean, make it a part of you. But man, I want to I witness it for myself. I want to experience it, and I hope you do too. I'm not satisfied with just reading pages out of a book and dreaming up what it would have been like. It doesn't satisfy me, man. I want to be on the front lines. I want to be right at the edge with God, watching God move and watching his hands work and watching seas part, if that ever happens again. I mean, I I, I want to be there. What I'm saying is I want to experience such intimacy with God that he reveals the mysteries and the desires of his heart so that I can experience the mighty movement of God and be a part of God's plan to change the world today. I don't want to just read about it anymore. I don't want to listen to someone else's story of raising the dead, healing the blind, watching the lame run, seeing whole cities transformed by the power of God. I want to do it myself. I want to partner with God. And see it happen because times are urgent. Somebody better partner with God. I want to see high school campuses completely changed because there's more Christians on that campus than there are people who don't know Jesus. I want to see that stuff in our day and age. Let's not only do everything we see in God's word. Let's not only do everything we see in God's word. Let's do those things. But that's also transfer those timeless truths into stories of what God wants to do in our day. Today, this week, next week, tomorrow. God wants to move. He wants to work. He's just waiting for you to step up and charge. I love John chapter 17 where Jesus is praying for his disciples. It says, I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. He's talking about disciples. Those of you that love, you don't belong to the world. You belong to a different kingdom. 
says, you don't belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. This is Jesus praying to his Father for you. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. Just as you sent me, I'm sending them. Now listen to this next part. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, talking about his 12 there, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. We are the all. He's praying for you. Send them out into the world. Just as you've sent me. Man, when God sent Jesus, he gave him power. When God sent Jesus, he provided for him. He took care of his every need. When God sent Jesus, he flipped and walked on water. I mean, are you kidding me? That's awesome. Let's go walk on some water. I mean, when God sent Jesus, he gave him the influence. He gave him the opportunities. He gave him the power. He gave him the resources. He gave him everything he needed to transform this world. And look what happened. He transformed the world, and it's still transforming today. As God sends you out into this world, he will give you everything you need. As you impact culture, Jesus will be right beside you, impacting it with you. You're not alone. In fact, don't do it alone. You'll fail. You'll be a miserable failure. You have to have the power of God on your side. But when you do, oh man, watch out. Stuff is going to happen. I mean, it is going to happen. In this passage, Jesus is praying for us. And because we are now of a different kingdom, we're not of this kingdom. We're of a different kingdom, of his kingdom. He's sending us out and empowering us to go into all the world and transform it. How do we transform the world? I don't know. It beats me. <laughs> God will show you, though. I mean, I'm from Detroit. You guys know what happens in culture? Every time there's a cultural shift, which is about every six months now, but every time culture begins to shift and change, it goes from West Coast and East Coast. It hits the middle of the United States, and then it hits Michigan about six to eight months later. <laughs> Michigan people are always behind. They're always behind. No, you will transform culture when you decide to step up and lead the charge. God will be with you. He'll be smiling. He'll be excited. He'll be down there doing all the stuff that God does, paving the way for you. I believe the key to transforming the world resides in one word, obedience. One word. We can learn a lot from Joab. Joab was never focused on the battle. He was never focused on the clanging swords or the war cries of the enemy. He, I mean, if he did, he might have had second thoughts, right? I mean, if you start getting a little intimidated, you get your focus off of God and God's desires and God's will, and your focus goes on to everything else around you that's taking place, oh, man, all of a sudden fear creeps in and we get sidetracked and we don't know what to do. We forget the whole purpose of where, why we were going in that direction anyway. But Joab didn't do that. He was focused on God's will, not the scary battle that was about to take place. Radical obedience does not seek to comply to the minimal standards, but it pursues extravagant fulfillment. When God speaks and asks you to do something, you don't do it partway, you don't do it halfway, you don't do it half-heartedly. Man, you, you do it with extravagant fulfillment. 
And this means that we don't try to do just enough to get by. We don't just fulfill just the minimal requirements. We don't act on God's desires or on God's commands half-heartedly. We can't do that. No, we fulfill the desires of God's heart to the fullest, to the best of our abilities. And I mean, when it comes to the kingdom of God, man, we're either all in or we're not in at all when it comes to fulfilling his purposes. You know, it was so funny. I had a young girl. Her name was Asha. And it was uh, in my very first youth ministry, and she was Hindu. Her family was Hindu. Anyway, Asha found Christ. She gave her heart to the Lord. I think she was a senior in high school at the time. She started leading a small group at her house. So there was a Christian small group meeting in this Hindu home. And one of my uh, other youth pastors, one of the other youth pastors there, uh, came one night, and he was having a conversation with her father, and, and her father took her up into the bedroom, and Hindus, they all have God shelves in their bedroom, and what they have is they have all the different gods that they worship on those God shelves, representations of those gods. And on that God shelf was a cross. And the other youth pastor said, you have all these different gods. What's, what's this one mean to you? And he's like, well, we, when we came to America, we just saw everyone had one of these, so we thought we should have one too. And he put it up in the shelf, which opened the door, and the other youth pastor began to share Christ and Christianity in the hopes that, yeah, God would shed his light into his life. But instead of that happening, he really began to figure out what this Christianity thing was all about, and they really got mad, and they got mad at their daughter. And in fact, it came to the point later on in that year that they said, you either disown this Jesus and you disown this faith or we're going to leave you here and we're going back to India and you can just, we're going to disown you from our family. You won't be part of our family anymore. And Asha, a senior in high school in our youth ministry, said, I will not disown Jesus. I will not disown my Lord and Savior. You know what happened next? Her family moved back to India and left her there. Left her in the city of Columbus all by herself. She went on to Ohio State University. She went on to lead, uh, was, was high up in the uh, athlete or some Christian organization on Ohio State, led small groups, led different things on the campus, and is successful today. She would not give up her faith, but she paid a price. Many of you will never have to pay that price. But my goodness, she was going to fulfill obedience with extravagant fulfillment. She was not going to back down. She's a crasher. She's authentic. The Greek word for obedience is hupako. Everybody say hupako. It's not an animal. That's not a name you call somebody, even though it sounds like it. It's it's hupako, the Greek word for obedience. Here's what it literally means. It literally means to hear under, like to hear, to listen, to hear under. So in its rawest form, obedience means to listen attentively and then act in compliant submission. The under part is being, being under authority and acting under that authority. So to listen attentively and then act in compliant submission. That's what the word obedience means. The blessings you receive from obedience are reaped when you first sit and listen. You hear the heart of God. You hear the voice of God. And then you go and do what that heart and that voice was sharing with you. 
That's obedience. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. The word of God should always be transforming. It should be transforming you and making you more like Jesus. You can't just listen to the word. You have to put action to the word. But in order for this to happen, according to scripture, you actually have to not only digest this word and read the word and allow it to consume you, then you have to go become the word. You have to do the word, God says. You actually have to take action, put it into practice, what God is telling you. That's really what it boils down to. So this is really funny. I, had a, I was in a youth pastor meeting. The youth pastors were all Nazarenes. It's about the worst place in the world I think I could have ever been. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they're, all, they're all Nazarene. I, that's an inside joke probably. I'm sitting around in a room full of youth pastors. And our NYI guy, which in Nazarendom is the guy that oversees all the youth on that district. And we're in the Eastern Michigan District. And we're sitting around this room. He began to tell us how the DS and himself wanted us all to go back and start doing the Bible quizzing. Those of us who had quit. I was one of them. And he wanted us to do Bible quizzing again. And I looked at all those youth pastors around the table. I said, you have kids in your neighborhoods, and in your churches, and in your communities that are going to hell because you're doing Bible quizzing. And their eyes got real big. (laughs) Real big. I said, let me explain myself. Your students are learning all these scriptures, and I'm not against memorizing scripture. They're memorizing scripture, but they're memorizing it for a competition in order to win and get a trophy. They're not memorizing scripture in order to take that scripture and put it into action into their schools and into their world and into their lives. You see, out of that, there there, there wasn't an avenue for them to put what what they were learning, what they were digesting. There was no avenue from Bible quizzing in order to get that, to activate that and take action on that in life. They were just learning scripture for a trophy, for a competition. And again, I'm all about memorizing scripture. Man, memorize it. Consume it. Be hungry for it. You need it. And it's a lamp into your feet and a light into your path. You need it. I'm for it. But I want you to memorize it because you love Jesus. I want you to memorize it because you got this hunger and this desire to know God's heart. And you've got this hunger and this desire to crash into culture and to bring glory to your king. And when you do that, it changes how you interact with the world. When you begin to memorize scripture with that purpose. So the key to listening to the word of God and putting what you learn into practice is obedience. Now very quickly, there's four things crashers understand about obedience. Four things crashers understand about obedience. These will go fast. First one, crashers know that obedience unlocks the abundant life. Crashers know obedience unlocks the abundant life. Through your obedience, God will give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever door you unlock in heaven will be unlocked on earth. When you start operating with God as the number one priority of your life, it causes you and influences people around you to crash. When you start activating that, 
The abundant life will shake up the world. It comes through your obedience. The abundant life. We're talking an abundance of grace and understanding for people, an abundance of influence, an abundance of spiritual power, an abundance of wisdom and discernment, an abundance of God's heart. Yet you're living in this world, but you're not of this world, remember? And because you're not of this world, your actions are advancing the kingdom of heaven. Because you're of a different world. So crashers know that obedience unlocks the abundant life. Number two, crashers know that obedience incites, attracts the attention of God. God looks with special attention upon the one who's devoted to obedience. I promise you. He looks with special attention at you. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, I will bless those who have, a humble, who have humble and repentant hearts who tremble at my word. To tremble does not mean that we are scared or fear, fearful or shaking in our boots at God's word. It means firstly that we long for him to speak. And secondly that we are prepared and standing by with great attentiveness to act upon what he says. When we tremble for his word with this kind of anticipation, anticipation, he fastens his gaze upon us in order to do good on our behalf. I mean, his eyes, his eyes will fasten on the one who is obedient. I promise. And when God's eyes are fastened on you, man, you better hold on. You're in for an adventure of a lifetime. I promise. Uh, Here's a quick example. And we'll do two more short ones and we'll be done. Uh, I was in El Salvador two years ago. My pastor uh, asked me to go. said, I'll pay you away. I want you to come down with me. Uh, we're doing leadership training for some church leaders down there. And I was thinking to myself, I didn't say this. I'm thinking to myself, though, oh, pastor needs my help. Like, I'm pretty confident in my leadership and teaching leadership and doing those different things. Oh, he needs my help. He doesn't want to teach all day in leadership. He needs help doing that. I'm thinking, yeah, I'll go with you. It'll be fun. It'll be a blast. So I'm going down there to El Salvador for the first time I was down there. I'm going down there just thinking to myself, yeah, we're going to go. We're going to, I mean, I really wasn't expecting anything. Just go down. We're going to teach leadership. It'll be fun. It'll be cool to be in another country and see El Salvador. I'd never been there before. So we went down there and started doing that. Anyway, while I was down there, God just wrecked me. I mean, oh, he demolished me. I mean, I fell in love with the youth group at that church that we were at. Fell in love with those students. Fell in love with compassion, and that church served 300 kids in the Compassion Project. So Holly and I uh, adopted one of those kids that we got to go down and visit a couple times. Uh, Maria Guadalupe is her name. I mean, just began to wreck me. And one of the days after one of our teaching sessions, I saw a young girl. She was a teacher in the Compassion Project. She came to find out that she was a compassion kid herself. And then she was a compassion teacher there. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, I want you to put her through college. I was like, what? I'm still paying on my own college bills. You want me to put her through college? You got to be kidding me. And I didn't, I had no idea what college was going to cost down there. I, I, I had no clue. I didn't even, I didn't know if she was in college, graduated from college, never went to college. I mean, I didn't know. So I said, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'll do. And anyway, there was a time and a break when we sat down. I actually got to sit down. It was weird. It just happened. I mean, it was, it was ordained by God. I sat down. A, a, a translator came over and said, here, sit down. And, and he called the, 
this girl, the teacher, and her mom, who was also a teacher in the same project, over and sat down, and we just began to talk. I began to ask about her college. I began to ask about what she was doing. She had gone two years to college, and she was going to have to drop out the next month because they ran out of money, and she wasn't going to be able to go. And I said, well, now I was trembling and shaking in my boots. How, how much does college cost? <laughs> and for about $1,200 a year, she could go to college and get a college degree. And I looked at her mom and I looked at her. I said, my wife and I will put your daughter through the next two years of college. And they just began to weep and they began to sob. And it was just, it was incredible. She emails me her grades. She emails me her grades. We, we stay in touch through Facebook and different things. Um, but I'm telling you, I would have missed all of that if I was not expecting God to move. Yeah. If I was not expecting God to do something, I would have missed it all. And, and the, the point was God had grace on me because I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't expecting a whole lot. And just out of the blue, man, God began to nail me with all these different things throughout the week and my, just began to tear my heart and wreck my heart. And in this moment, I just heard his voice and I was able to be obedient to what God wanted me to do and really change a family's life. When you change one person down there in their family, it changes their entire family. So what I'm saying is you have to be expecting God. When you are obedient, expect God to speak to you. Expect God to move on your behalf. Expect God to push you into realms that you've never been before. Expect God to give you the words to pray and and the power to lay your hands on. And expect God to do these great things because he will to those and for those who are obedient, who are listening, who are expectant. All right, third one. Crashers know that obedience produces greater intimacy. Two, Two quick ones and we're done. Crashers know that obedience produces greater intimacy. John chapter 14, verse 23 says, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. What's he saying, man? If you're obedient, man, God's going to reside right here. Holy Spirit's going to live right here when we're obedient. Obedience guarantees God's presence will fill your life. Guarantees God's presence will fill your life. One of the most powerful statements Jesus made is found in John 14, verse 21, just a couple of verses earlier. It says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and manifest, everybody say manifest, manifest myself to each of them. Manifest myself to each of them. Now think about a semi-truck hauling goods. They get to the, I mean, it's just packed full of stuff. They get to their destination. A manager comes out and says, let me see your manifest. The manifest tells us what's on the inside, how many items there are, what the items are for. It gives specifics on that load. Now, Webster defines manifest as to make something evident by showing or demonstrating it very clearly. To make something evident by showing or demonstrating it very clearly. Now think of the same principle as God manifests himself to you. All of a sudden the will of the Father, his heart, that which was hidden now because of your obedience is being revealed. Now his might and his power are being manifested on your behalf because of your obedience. What was unknown, what was hidden in the Father's heart is now being manifested to you. It's being made known to you. 
through your obedience. Great levels of intimacy are found in obedience. The mysteries of the kingdom are revealed and unlocked as you sit and listen and pray and learn and put into practice what God is teaching you. Last one. Crashers know that obedience makes you an unstoppable force. Crashers know that obedience makes you an unstoppable force. True crashers are those who are impacting culture and people, and they are always found sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's where they're found. John chapter 12, verse 26 says, Where I am, there my servant will be also. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I love this. Where I am, people who love me, the people who follow me, the people who have given their whole lives to me, the people who seek my face, they will be there with me. See, I'd much rather be where God is and be a part of what he's doing than try to, you know, beckon God to come where I am and be a part of what I'm doing. I'd much rather be, what he, be where, where he is and what he's doing. It means where God is moving, you're moving with him right on the front lines. You're like on that cutting edge with God. You're like right at the forefront. When he's about to do a, a, a new thing, I mean, you're right there and you're participating in it. In fact, when God wants to act, he acts through you because you're already a willing one. You're already there. You're already with him. So obedience always places us. Don't miss this. Obedience always places us in a position of intimacy with God. Always. When we're living lives of intimacy with the Almighty, we are keenly aware of what he is up to, and we are obediently acting to accomplish his desires. So your first act of obedience is to sit and listen. Your second act of obedience is to go crash. Sit, listen, go crash. In fact, we're going to practice it right now. On your chair, there are two note cards. If the band will come up, and if DLA will take the crash down, that'd be awesome. Stay with me, stay with me. Find them quietly. On, on your chair, two note cards. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice just for the next few minutes. We're just going to sit and listen. I want you to sit and listen. And here's the specific question I want you to ask God. God, who are two people in my life? Two people, maybe I go to school with them. Maybe we're okay friends. Maybe we're acquaintances. Maybe we're good friends, but who are two people in my life? God, that you've been working on. That God, you're already beginning to soften their hearts. Who are two people, God, that I can commit to sharing the love of Christ with? And I'm not talking about just audible. I'm talking about picking two people and over the next four to six weeks, you're ministering to them. You're loving on them. You're just encouraging them. Maybe you invite them over for dinner, or maybe you take them out to ice cream once a week. I mean, I would go too if you were taking me to ice cream once a week. I mean, whatever it is, I mean, two people that God is intentionally putting on your heart. I mean, you are placing yourself, you are positioning yourself at the feet of Jesus, and you're saying, Jesus, speak to me. What's the impact you want me to make? What do you want me to do? And right now, I believe God is going to speak to many, many, many of you, and he's going to give you guys two names. In fact, some of you, he's already given them to. He's going to give you two names. He's going to say, these are the students. These are your friends. These are the people that maybe you don't know very well at all, but these are the people I want you to go after. These are the people I want you to be Jesus to. 
These are the people I want you to love. I want you to care for. I want you to encourage. These two people. Start praying now. Start thinking about it. We're just going to do this for a few minutes, but you're just placing yourself, positioning yourself to hear from God. And you know what I believe? I believe in the next four to six weeks, many of those students, because I've seen this time and time and time again. In my 13 years of ministry, I've seen it time and time again. When you become intentional about your friendships, God will become intentional about empowering you and bringing you favor and bringing you influence. And I believe those two people that you're going to write down in your card tonight will come to know Jesus in the next four to six weeks. That's what we're believing for. I'm believing for it. If everyone in this room won two people to the Lord in the next four to six weeks, our youth ministry would increase triple. That's exponential growth. That's the power of God. That's not our strength. That's not doing the thing humanly. That's doing the thing spiritually and heavenly. And that's what we want. We don't want to do things in our own strength. We want to do things under the power of God. But where the power of God is, that's where the exponential growth comes. And this isn't about growth. This is about your friend coming to know Jesus. This is about your friend getting redeemed and, rest- and rescued from sin. This is about your friend having a- eternal life with-, with Christ. It's about you being and becoming the heart of God who loves his people. For God so loved the world. He's not talking about the earth. He's talking about the people. For God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you want to be more like Jesus, you've got to learn to love like Jesus. You've got to be willing to get your hands dirty. You've got to get your hands messy. When you start diving into people's lives, I mean, their lives are full of sin. Sin is messy. But it's okay to go there. It's okay to go in. It's okay to begin to love. It's okay to go in and begin to encourage. It's okay to go in and wrap your arms around someone and say, man, I love you. Because that's what God did. That's what Jesus did. You think anybody that Jesus healed, you think they believed in him until they got healed? No. But once they were healed, you better believe, man. Oh, I love Jesus. You see, Scripture says that God loved them before they even knew me. God loved you first. So you have to go out and love your friends first. Love your friends first. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.